We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, Smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands, hands, hands. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Welcome back to the mailbag. We are here for part two. Fachi, let's get right into it. We're looking at Twitter questions here. So Samuel Colbertson, he said, where do we go from here? About every game we play, it seems we can lose, so we just wish for a good draft pick at this point. And should we just sign Lance till the end of the season? Because what could have hurt at this point? It's a tough spot to be in. It really is. But, guys, a top five to ten pick. If we can get that, top five to top ten, we will be running in the streets with excitement over the hope that can come to this team because we haven't felt something that great since the back-to-back conference finals championship. I mean, we're, those finals appearances, we're talking about it, – it's been, you know, about eight, nine years now. So, signing Lance, I feel like it's, it's a small move. Um, you know, to, to appease the crowd, bring some, some fans back. But at the same point, you know, it, it depends how he plays. We can't just sign him for the season, you know, and, and just, you know, just to do it. But if he's playing well, then why not? I think you got to sign him. <laughs> I hope if you're trying to get fans in the arena, this is the only thing that I think is going to help salvage any anything that you're getting out of the season. Because right now the Pacers are 14 and 23 with, you know, Julius Randle being out for the Knicks. Hey, they might be able to beat the Knicks, but the Knicks – you know, they're currently just 17 and 20. They're three games under 500, and they're in the draft lottery as well. But, you know, we've had some success against the Knicks this season. But right now, Fachi, the Pacers are the seventh worst team in the NBA at 14 and 23. OKC, Portland, and New Orleans are 13 and 22. And I think New Orleans is actually 13 and 23. So they have one more loss. But 
the Pacers are just one win away from being or one loss away in the, and those teams getting one win away from being tied for the fourth worst record in the entire NBA. So there's absolutely nothing to really root for here right now besides getting into the lottery. And, you know, with our luck, we might fall down a couple spots, whatever. Uh, I just think this this team is going nowhere. And even if we play tough and lose those games, it's all for the better of the future of this team, in my opinion. I mean, it is. I've listened to some fans who have basically said, I would rather lose each game like this because that way it's like the team's playing hard and you yep. come up short, which gets us to the pick. And, yeah, I mean, it hurts a little bit more than, than a blowout. Like, Alex, I, I don't know why I truly believe we were going to beat the Bulls the other day. DeRozan <laughs> from deep off oh, the opposite man. foot. I mean, you couldn't even make it up. It was so ridiculous to lose like that. And then all of a sudden, we keep it close against the Cavs for the first three quarters. The Pacers looked like a good team that was in control. Um, but they come up short again. Um, now they're 1-10 in 10 in games decided by four or less. So <laughs> if, if each game is going to be like that, yeah, it gets you closer to, to the pick that we all desperately want. But, man, some of these losses, they're frustrating. Yeah, and, you know, Pacer fans might not be watching a ton, but if you're if you're looking at the score and you see, oh, man, we're up by two in the fourth quarter with three minutes left, there's a good possibility you're going to turn it on to see what happens, right? Or at least check back in just to kind of see, like, hey, did we get this sure. one? Like, you're going to keep a little bit more interest in uh, in this team if they're playing close games. You know, obviously they're never going to openly tank, but I think right now it's uh, it's it's not a bad thing for this team to lose. And uh, I'm not I'm not saying that I'm rooting for losses, like I've said before on this pod. But you know, anytime they can get closer to a top four pick, I, I consider that a win as well. But um, let's let's move on to our next question here from Zachary Barnett. What's the best-case scenario for this team by the trade deadline? Best-case scenario, I mean, it depends what you consider, you know, good or bad. Uh, from, a, from a front office standpoint, I think the best-case scenario would be getting within a couple games of 500. Uh, best-case scenario from a fan perspective is probably to stay the course right now and lose these games by close scores. So it, it's like we're not getting embarrassed. It's not like, you know, an atrocious product that we're watching on the court, but it's like, we're falling short, but getting closer to those draft picks. But also in the process, I would love to get back a healthy TJ Warren, who, as we know, wants to be here. It would be great if Warren, you know, looks like himself and is able to sign for a, a reasonable hometown discount right there. I, th I think would be a great win-win, but also from a best case scenario, you got to make a move. You got to bring in either draft picks or young players, but something has to happen. Yeah, I think the best case scenario for me, Fachi, for this team would be that all of our guys get healthy, that are our biggest trade targets, right? Pieces we want to move, and I hope that they play well the next month um, up into the deadline. I want them to play well. I want them to shoot the ball well. I want teams to believe in them. I want teams to trade for them because if we can convince these teams like, hey, you know, we've got good players, our team just doesn't fit, then they might be willing to, you know, give up something worth value to, to acquire said player, right? If Jeremy Lamb for like, whenever he comes back from COVID, if he goes on this, not terror, but, you know, goes on this little run where he's averaging like 10 points a game, shooting, you know, 40% from three, like, hey, you know, somebody might be interested in that. Hey, this guy's shooting the ball well. And, you know, if we get a couple wins in there, you know, it's not the end of the world. But I, I think that's the best case scenario is for the guys that are your biggest trade chips to play well and perform well. And I also think, um, if you're able to see some of these young players develop, like we get to see tonight with Dwayne Washington Jr., like most of the time, if you're fully healthy and there's no COVID stuff, right, you're barely seeing Dwayne Washington Jr. So this is a great opportunity for him, Kiefer Sykes, 
Uh, maybe when Isaiah Jackson and Duarte get back, you know, just continue to see them grow as players because you want to see what you got with this young talent. And while this current core has been struggling, you need to see what you can put around some of these guys and figure out, hey, if we make a two-for-one trade or something like that, can we slide an X player into the roster spot um, that we just lost? So I, I think overall, uh, <laughs> racking up more losses while your players play well is probably the best-case scenario for me. I, I'd say so. I mean, like I mentioned, a guy like Dwayne Washington Jr. tonight looked like an NBA player, and if you can continue to find these type of guys – for real cheap on minimum deals, you know, two-way contracts, all, all of that, those type of situations, that's how you can help, you know, continue to build a, a team the right way. Because, look, if you're looking to, to bring back T.J. Warren or anything, it's going to squeeze this team financially because it, it's just – it's going to be tough out there. So you need some cheap role players. It would be great if the young guys can truly develop, just like you mentioned. Totally agree, Fachi. We'll move on here to Matthew Peck. He said, conspiracy speculation required for this question – do you believe that there is a difference between Herb and Kevin slash Rick that it was one of them that was the source of the athletic article? Secondly, is it possible Rick is just demonstrating to Herb that this team lacks playoff talent? I don't think that there's a conspiracy theory in terms of one member of the front office kind of leaking some information on athletic. I think the Pacers always do a good job of pretty much keeping things within uh, to the best that they can. Um, but I do think there is a difference between Herb and, you know, Pritchard and, and Rick Carlisle. I think that Kevin Pritchard and, and Rick Carlisle are probably far more open to change than Herb Simon is. I think that's pretty evident. But also, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Rick is basically, you know, trotting out this, this roster. They're, they're losing games. And he's basically saying, OK, you can see this doesn't work. Like in order to play the way that I want to play, we're going to need some new pieces. And I do think change will happen, but it's going to take the losses in order for that change to happen. So I so I've kind of talked about this before, so I don't want to keep beating the dead horse. But what I was told, like I said before, is Miles Turner was going to had already spoken to Jared Wise from the Athletic before Rick Carlisle or whoever Kevin Pritchard went to Bob Kravitz, Shamsharanio to re report that they're open for trades. Right. So personally, for me, like what I think happened is I think that probably Kevin Pritchard talked to Bob Kravitz about some stuff because. I know Bob Kravitz has done some Q&As with Kevin Pritchard before, so I'm just speculating here, right, because what he told us to do. But I think Kevin Pritchard was the one that leaked, like, hey, we're open to making trades for these guys because they were trying to protect themselves from looking like a player once out of Indiana because, look, once Turner's article came out, even though the context was much different than what the headline said, everybody started screaming, Turner wants a bigger role he wants out of Indiana, right? That's kind of what the national media narrative was. It was not the – actual full article if you read it and all the other quotes that Pritchard and Carlisle said in there. But I definitely think that they were trying to get ahead of that by putting out the report with Shams and with Kravitz. But um, <clears throat> I also think, you know, Rick, I've, I've talked to some people about this off air and, and we've questioned like, why is he not playing through Sabonis as much? Right. Didn't make a whole lot of sense because trying to put him in McConnell, like to stretch the floor, like, Maybe he was like, hey, you guys don't have shooters. Get shooters on this team. We're a terrible shooting team, right? Uh, I want to play this style, but I can't play this style with these players and whatnot. And so he's changed a little bit over the time because I think he just wants the best for the players. I don't think he'd ever be throwing things, but I also think that Rick Carlisle has a certain type of offensive style that he likes to play, and I don't think this roster really fits it. So I think it was him trying to experiment with his system to see – how the players fit in, and then he made adjustments to that. I don't know if you agree with that, Fox, but that's kind of where I'm at. 
No, yeah, I mean, I do to an extent. I mean, like I said, I just don't think that we have the players for that system. And I think when you bring in a guy like Carlisle who wants to play a specific way, eventually you're you're going to play that way, and they're gonna they're gonna make it work. And right now they don't have those pieces in place, so uh, I think it's only natural that he's like basically proving it. And I don't think that yeah. he's tanking games by any means, but we we just don't have the pieces needed flat out. Yeah, I think he also tried to de-emphasize Sabonis's importance because of some of the stuff that was reported last year about. The players having issues with Domas, right? Uh, there was a lot of reports that they felt like they were getting special treatment. So maybe he was trying to earn their trust, the rest of the team, and say, hey, we're going to play through all five guys and not through Sabonis as much. But regardless, I, I think that it's silly to think that he'd be throwing games to try to prove to Herb that, yeah. uh, you know, we need to make changes. But moving on, DJ Davis Law said, Pacers need a new leader who leads through hard and effort every game. Like Colts, Quentin Nelson, and Darius Leonard, change Colts culture who can the Pacers obtain to do the same and what will it take to get that player I 100% agree um I I just feel like leaders unfortunately they don't grow on trees they don't really become available often um but they 100% need a guy at least like a David West who's not going to take any nonsense he's going to lead by example he's going to keep guys in line Pacers don't have that and I don't think uh, – one guy that I definitely think does not have it is Ben Simmons. I don't think that the Pacers <laughs> make a trade for Ben Simmons. I don't think you should think that he's going to command that locker room. Um, heart can't be taught. It, it, it's you either have it or you really don't. And I think that in order to lure one of those guys, you better be willing to trade big. And I just – I don't think the Pacers are going to do that, unfortunately. Um, nor does any real, like, star, I feel like, you know, they're not, I think, eager to unfortunately come here. And I don't blame them given the current situation. Fachi, do you know where Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard, how they got on the Colts? Uh, through the draft. There it, you go. Exactly. And that's and, that's where you're going to have to find your leader. Like, true. We've, we've talked about Byron Scott coming to this team in the 90s after being on the championship team. You know, we talked about Jared Dudley being a guy that could be that that leader. And I think he, Al Jefferson is another guy that Kevin Pritchard even said could be that leader. Look, he's not going to have the same impact on the court, though. So that's where you have to, like, put two and two together. So who is a guy that could, you know, you put him on the court is going to be as impactful as both Leonard and Quentin Nelson and, you know, be available for trade? It's not going to happen. You're talking about two pro bowlers here, right? You're talking mm-hmm. about two guys that are all, all pros, you know, basically. right? You know, these aren't guys that are going to be on the move. So that's unrealistic thinking outside of the draft. And I think that's the only way you can do it is through that. But, you know, not every – great player is a great leader like you know paul george great player but not a great leader same with anthony davis anthony davis is a special player when he's healthy and he's and he's playing right but he needs a lebron james to lead him right and it's not a bad thing you know and i I think sometimes we criticize guys for not being able to be the leader and be the man whatever but i still think that truth is when, when you're looking at acquiring talent you just have to figure out the best way to do it. i think chris paul would have been the perfect example had it happen a couple of years ago. But uh, with that being said, Victor was that guy too a little bit. Um, I don't know if he was nearly at the level of Quentin Nelson or Darius Leonard, but he was a two-time All-Star when he was here, and he was a leader. He was a leader for that team. So um, Thad Young's another leader too. But anyway, let's move on. I'm sorry I'm rambling here. Uh, Chris Weech said, that ending of the Bulls game perfectly illustrates how this season has gone. It's fun to have Lance back, but the Band-Aid only sticks so long. How do we get the fun back? The culture back. I missed that Vic first season so much. How do we get it back? Thanks, boys. And I would love to get the fun back. And I, I think it only really comes with like winning. Honestly, yep. it's just when you don't win, nothing's fun. It shows these players are not 
having fun right now. I mean, you remember like back in the day, I, I can't remember if it was, was it Corey Joseph that, that like fell and everybody ran and picked him oh, up. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that was like that team where they, they love being together and that, that whole like season when we traded for Vic, it was magical because there really was no expectations other than the Patriots were not going to be a good team. I remember them being picked below the magic, which is always a crime. And and I, and they they rose to the occasion. And it's hard to really like bottle that and just be able to like expect it. But it comes with winning. And I think at this point, these players have played together long enough. Some of them to know that, like, it's probably just isn't it. Like, I don't think this is a team that's, like, this team's one year away. Like, they're growing together. I think this team's growing apart. No, I think you're right. And I was thinking about that Oladipo team, actually, the other day, which I don't know why. But in 17, 18, I was like, man, that season was so much fun. Like, who was their starting lineup? Okay, so you had Darren Collison, Vic, Bojan, uh, Thad Young, and Miles Turner. And I'm thinking to myself, why did that lineup work so well? And here's why. Darren Collison is a guy that we don't talk about enough from the last question, he is a leader, right? He was a leader for this team. He was the point guard. He could set things up, but he also knew that he wasn't the guy. Victor Oladipo became that guy, and everybody gravitated towards that. Bojan was a great secondary scorer, but Bojan knew that this was Vic's team. Miles Turner, great shot blocker. Him and Thad Young had great chemistry on the defensive side of the ball. Victor was out there just being a menace, and then Bojan learned how to play defense, and I thought Darren Collison, even though he was a little bit smaller, you know, he, he was – so quick and had quick hands and he developed a nice three-point shot. I think he shot, I think he led the league actually in three-point percentage yeah, that year as well. Yep. So, you know, I'm just thinking about how that team was built and looking at this team now. You've got TJ Warren, Malcolm Brogdon, Karis Levert, Sabonis, and Turner all in their primes, all guys that think they should be the best player on the team because they don't have that guy to lead them and, and they don't have the veteran leadership on that team to kind of balance things out because – if you watch him, like, I'm not saying T.J. Warren obviously just played with this group, but there's games where it's like Karis Levert overshoots the ball and over dribbles and does that kind of stuff. Same with Brogdon, same with Sabonis. And then there's times where Turner, you know, looks like he's just mad because he's not getting enough touches and he's pouting. And then he goes to the media, voices his frustrations, whatever you want to call it. I mean, all this stuff all comes together as we don't have that leader to hold us together. And while Malcolm can try to be that leader and talk positively about everybody to the media, He's not that guy. Uh, I'm sorry, but he's just not. So I, I think that's what it's going to have to take is to get a team that fits well together, that's got good core players that know their role and know who to, to listen to. Like, hey, you know what? I think that Savonis loves to play with other guards that are dynamic, right? From watching him play, like, he looked good with Dwayne Washington Jr. He looked good with Kiefer Sykes. He's looked good with Lance, Tyreek, McDermott. Like, he is fine working with any player from any level. I think that... He'll be open, I mean, even back to Victor Oladipo, he'll be open to playing second fiddle to the guy. But right now, because there is no guy, everybody thinks they're the guy, and that's the biggest problem here with why this team can't have fun. So sorry for Rainbow and Plachi, but I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. No, it's just true. It is a major issue because I, I do think that Lavert feels that it's his team, and I think he tries to show that. And I think Sabonis, you know, he doesn't really say it, but I think he thinks, you know, this is my team and, you know, could rightfully be so. I mean, I think it should be his team, but if it's his team, how far are we really going? You know, so yeah. that, that that's the thing is like, even for Brogdon at times, he's had a right to say, hey, this could be my team. But in the end, if too many people think that, what are the odds that you're really successful? I mean, guys like Chris Middleton, CJ McCollum, they know they're not the guy. They know yeah. that they're a great number two to the guy. And over there, you know, they, they've had success. So, I mean, you know, Portland hasn't had championship success, but 
still, you know what I mean? So overall, I think that is a big problem. It is. It is definitely. But let's move on to our good friend Aaron M. at Hugh Pacers. He said, does the Pacers organization in its current state have the ability to create a championship level team? Or do you think changes need to be made in the front office slash ownership level for that to occur? I wish I could sit here and say that we have what it takes to build a championship team, but we do not have that without an actual superstar. Without one, I don't think it's possible to be able to have a championship team. Um, this Pacers team for the last few years, they, their idea is having you know five guys that could get you double digits or five guys that could get you 20 on any night, but you need that actual star. A player like Giannis, LeBron, they're drafted to small market teams that they've been able to take to the championship. So that's really the only way to get out of mediocrity or being real average. Uh, you're not seeing that around guys like Steph Curry. I mean, like, look what they were able to do in Golden State. I mean, even Miami, it took getting Dwayne Wade first over there before you could really get the ball rolling. So uh, I don't think we have the ownership in place to be able to do that. We're, we're never big spenders. Uh, and you also got to draft real well. And, you know, historically, we haven't really been positioned to draft that great. Therefore, we haven't. So uh, I, I think right now there need to be a lot of changes to get to a championship level. Yeah, I think the times have changed quite a bit. I mean, you look at the 90s, this, te- this team got to the Eastern Conference Finals multiple times. They made Bloody. it to the finals in 2000, right? They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals and, you know, with Jermaine O'Neal a couple times, yep. right? And then, of course, they went back-to-back years against, you know, my, uh, LeBron James went way to the Miami Heat. So we know that this team can get to a Final Four level of play with talent that they're able to get. Now, look, a lot of times that came through good drafting and the right trade at the right time. I think this organization can still do that to a certain extent. They just have swung and miss on the current roster, but if they can flip these pieces for the right pieces and get this top draft pick that we're looking at right now, Fachi, top seven at this point, if they can hit on that draft pick and they can make the right trades, I think they could get back to a final four contender, but it's going to have to take hitting on that draft pick because they don't have that star. And, you know, I I think I'm going to say that right now they don't at this current state, but they could. Um, But I do think that the ownership with his inability or unwillingness to at least embrace a tank for a little bit um, or, or always, or always want to compete at the highest level. um, It's, it's, it makes sense. I mean, you should never play a game to lose, right? That's kind of silly. But I, I, but I think at the same time, if this was Jim Irsay, you know, he wouldn't be afraid to make drastic moves. He's so involved with that team where Herb Simon seems very hands off, doesn't seem to love the team, seems to like the little team. Right. So mm-hmm. um, that's where I think the biggest difference is he's just not as invested in, to me personally, from what I hear and see in this team as much as maybe we'd like him to be. But he does. Uh, he does love Indiana. And I'm glad that he has not moved the team out of the state. So it's, uh, you know. It's a two-edged short here, Fudge. Yeah, but here's the thing. When I start to look at it now, I remember when the Warriors were sold. And before that, they hadn't done anything in a long time. And after they were sold, I mean, new ownership came in. I mean, they really – I mean, obviously, hitting on Steph Curry makes a major difference. Same with Klay Thompson. But they got Draymond it Draymond Green. They, they, hitting on Draymond Green in the draft. Those three players being drafted there was massive. But when the time came – to upgrade, they went after Kevin Durant. I mean, they spent the money at times to keep Andre Iguodala there. So they did whatever they could. The Bucks, they were another team that was doing nothing for, for quite some time. They were sold, uh, I want to say it was in like maybe like 2014 or, or whatever around there. It was within the last 10 years. 
Look where they are now. They spent a lot of money to get, not only to retain Giannis, but to prove to him. Basically, bringing in Drew Holiday, trading all those draft picks. I mean, paying Chris Middleton. And then every single move along the way was like, if you pay Middleton, how are you going to get the job done over there by paying Giannis also? Then it was like, wait, you bring in Drew Holiday over there, you pay him. How are you going to keep Giannis and get the job done? They did it. That comes with new ownership that's going to spend. I mean, it's just that's what it takes right now. Herb Simon, I don't think it keeps him up at night not winning an NBA championship. I think he really wants to win one, but it's not like a, I need to do everything, spend you know what the, the top dogs are spending to get it done. Great points made by you, Fachi, but let's move on. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This comes from Slick. Ricky Kelly, he said, what is your dream trade for this team? Doesn't have to be realistic. I mean... Dream trade is going after a star. You get a guy like Damian Lillard here, I think he can change the whole culture of the team. Even at really, his age? I, I mean, look, he would be making a ridiculous amount of money that you cannot justify because all of a sudden the Pacers now have like a small window to win a championship while paying him like 40 to 50 million. But if you really want to like change the whole culture, you need to bring in an elite superstar like player. Yeah, no, this is a tough one because, like, dream trade for me would be like, okay, let's uh, let's flip Turner and Lavert for Luka Doncic. Right? Yeah, like, like obviously something like <laughs> that is, but like, you can't even say it with like, you can't even say it without laughing, you know? Well, you know, and he's doesn't have to be realistic, so it's like, okay, let's do that. Let's trade Jeremy Lamb and uh, who who else likes? Uh, let's say T.J. McConnell for like, oh, I don't even know who makes seventeen million dollars. It's good. Uh, 
you know, that's tough. I don't even know at this point, but like Mikael Bridges, right? Like you just like think about all these players that you could just trade for that doesn't cost like that. They don't have to care. Like you can just do like trade override basically on NBA 2K. Um, I, I just think ultimately like getting a stud in here would be the biggest thing. And um, looking at all the guys that are available, like, sure, you might like uh, you might like Jimmy Butler, but he's a little bit older. You might like. DeMar DeRozan, how he's playing this year, but he's a little bit older. Is he the right guy for this team? I think going the younger route, going after like a John Morant, a, a Trey Young, somebody on a rookie deal that's been playing just lights out would be the way I would go about doing things. Uh, but that's that's just where I think about Fox. Yeah, I mean, idea. a guy like John Morant would be just the best because like you mentioned, he's still on that rookie contract. He's an absolute star in the making. John Morant would change everything over here. I think that he would be the type of player that would attract some free agents in a couple of years, um, but he ain't going nowhere. Memphis is another guy that they hit on in the draft, and that's what it takes with, with getting a top five pick. Uh, John Morant was worth every single, you know, every single loss that Memphis suffered that year to get him number two overall. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and we will answer some more questions. All right. This next question comes from Eric Winger. He said, thoughts on Karras as a point guard of the future. He's been playing great at the spot. And as hard as it is to find great point guards, any chance you think the Pacers hold off on trading him, maybe find their franchise player through another trade or the draft? I like Mr. Levert, but he's shown what we've talked about. He's got tunnel vision. He gets carried away at times. He's trigger happy. I think he's a scorer first. I think he'll always be a scorer first. Uh, That's his mentality. I mean, yeah, he could definitely set up others. He is a playmaker, but on how many teams is Levert, like your point guard and your – contending yeah. i think he's he's a guy that struggles with wanting to be the guy and that team is probably not going to be as successful so you would have then brogdon and lavert not really being true point guards both trying to be something that they're not i think the pacers are pretty likely to trade lavert but obviously anything can happen wouldn't be shocked if he's still on the team this year but i don't see him finishing next year his last year under his contract with the pacers yeah, I don't think he's a good enough defender to really put him as a starting point guard either because, quite frankly, the ideal role for him would be that sixth man off a of bench, right, yeah. and just being able to control that second unit and be the guy. But with this Pacers roster, like, there's no way you can put him on the bench. He is too talented to to be a, a sixth man on this roster. So it'd be a slap in the face, and you couldn't motivate that guy to, to do that. He wants to start. I get it. He deserves to start because he is a top-five player on this team. But – Point guard wise, yeah, he, he's better with the ball in his hands than playing off ball, in my opinion. But ultimately, I don't think he's the answer at point guard. And uh, we can uh, we can we can find our franchise player maybe through another trade or the draft. But I still think that Karis Levert, his best role uh, moving forward would be a six man dynamic player that you know could play starter level minutes, but comes off the bench and can just be that menace for that team. But Let's move on to another question here. This comes from Jenkins22 column. He said, in my opinion, regardless of how Lance plays, he needs to retire a pace. He's a linchpin to the roster and now has maturity to put his arm around the young players and bring energy to the bench and people back to the field house. He's worth a contract. Agree or disagree? Love the pod. Happy New Year. I think Lance has definitely matured. I think it's actually been years since we've even heard like the last negative report on him. I think he's at a different point in his career right now where he's just like, happy to be on an NBA roster, being able to help someone out. So I love that. Um, I would love for him to retire as a pacer. But Lance wants to continue playing, and I think he's going to go where anyone offers him at this point. He's 31 years old. I'm sure he would love 
one more contract, but I don't think it's going to be a multi-year deal. So I think in order for him to retire as a Pacer, it's either that this is the last year he plays in the NBA or that somehow there's a fourth reunion where he retires as a Pacer. And I don't think anyone's ever been on a team four different times before. So <laughs> I don't think he's going to retire as a Pacer, unfortunately. Uh, leave him on here. Let him retire a Pacer and then make him the mascot of the team, right? Yeah. Uh, but no, with all, in all seriousness, I would be okay if they kept him on the roster. I think that especially for this season, at least, fans would be excited. But uh, for him to retire a Pacer, it's very hard because roster spots are so valuable in today's NBA and if he's not contributing, like, look, he's not the Udonis Haslam type of player that Miami keeps around, like a coach in the locker room. I, I think Lance is a really – he's a really mature guy in, in terms of who he once was, five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was. But I ultimately just think at the end of the day, uh, I would disagree with this, but I want to say appreciate you always listening, Callum, and uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Let's move on to Aaron uh, Gristle here. He said, I don't recall details of Dan Burke's departure being reported. I assume the talk of assistants not wanting to join Bjork and staff also applied to Burke. Do you think Burke could return after Pierce inevitably leaves for a head coaching job, or is that bridge burned? Losing Burke was a tough blow. I mean, you could see the Pacers' identity truly left with Dan Burke. He coached under Carl before, so anything's possible. But I feel like I don't really see him returning. You never want to say never. But at the same point, it seems very unlikely at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if some type of bridge was burned. Yeah, I think if you go back and look at the reporting, I think it was Scott Agnes or Jay Michael. I can't remember exactly. But one of those guys actually said that the, the departure of Dan Burke was a Kevin Pritchard thing. So Kevin Pritchard decided that, hey, you know, we're going to move on from our coaching staff. We're just going to get all new voices in here. And I don't think he realized how difficult it was going to be to get assistant coaches for Nate Bjorkren. I think they wanted to become this modern style team that had a modern defense. And we know Dan Burke is a very old school defensive coach. So I think all this was part of embracing a new identity. So, you know, maybe two swings and misses there with, uh, with um, you know, Kevin Pritchard hiring Bjorkren and letting Dan Burke go. Uh, obviously, Popeye Jones was let go and they kept Bill Bano, but Bill Bano, was going under so much stuff, losing both of his parents last season uh, and, and just the toxic work environment. He himself had to leave and depart, and he is super close with DeMontis Sabonis. So, uh, you know, I, I just think uh, with Dan Burke, though, that was a Kevin Pritchard thing. And unfortunately, um, that bridge might have already been burned unless KP is out of the front office whenever uh, that opportunity might uh, come back for Dan Burke. But I think he's got a nice gig in Philadelphia with Doc Rivers. So, Real quick, I just want yeah, to yeah. say, Dan Burke got his first win as a head coach earlier yep. uh, in the week, which was awesome to see. Popeye Jones just got his first win as a head coach um, today, I believe it was, um, or within the last 24 hours. And then also, unrelated note, Cassius Stanley gets his first start. They get 19 <laughs> points. Yeah, first. I saw that. I mean, just former Pacers all around the league just uh, achieving some success this week, while we unfortunately have not. And George's Niang has been playing really good for yes. uh, the Sixers as well, a guy that we drafted 50th overall in the 2016 draft and let him go. But let's move on. Ty Romine said, what do you think the odds are of Lance staying longer than a 10-day contract? We already talked about this. So we'll just kind of go back and uh, reiterate real quick. Possibility, probably not as likely for me, Ty. I don't think Lance is going to stay here much longer than a 10-day contract, but – I would love for him to. Uh, I think it's going to come down between Keelan Martin and Kiefer Sykes, whichever one they believe Lance is better than. But I don't think at this point Lance has proven that he's better than either of them. It's only been a one-game sample size. But realistic, uh, the best realistic possibility 
is maybe trading or salary dumping Jeremy Lamb to OKC and attaching a second round pick and creating a roster spot for Lance if you feel he's worth it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take either Lance, you know, displaying some really good play on the court or the Pacers making a move pretty quickly. I could see him potentially getting a second 10-day uh, agreement, but at the same point, I mean, that probably comes with someone else testing positive. You don't want to wish that on anyone, but at the same point, there's some crazy stuff going on in the league right now. So if the Pacers are down some bodies, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they picked Lance back up for 10 more days. Right. Uh, this comes from Simon Duckworth. He said, Hey, Alex and team, what one player do you think we can move off to get some real value for other than Domas? I mean, Lavert's playing well right now. He is, but I think Miles Turner's still the guy that would probably bring back, you know, a pick and a young player. So I, I think for Lavert, I mean, I know he's upped his value, but I, I do think that the league has more of a need for Turner than they do for Lavert right now. If you're talking about a, who's bringing more back in a trade, so. I would say Miles Turner brings back more. Levert's more likely to be traded, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a that's a fair opinion. I think that Turner is a guy that might be able to get you back more because there's just a more of a position of need for him. But at the same time, Karis Levert, if he balls out, the right team could offer, you know, um, the right team could offer the right package for the Pacers if they think he's that good enough uh, to get them over the hump in a playoff series or, you know, being that pivotal player for them in a, in a – yeah, in a playoff series, maybe coming off the bench, something like that. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not necessarily sure. Um, outside of Miles, if there's anybody else you could trade to get you uh, a lot back. I think Duarte is a name that we don't talk about enough um, because obviously nobody expects him to be traded. I think I'd be a little bit disappointed if he was dealt, but he's regressed quite a bit the last month um, from what he did the beginning of the season. So um, if a team's really high on him, he's 24 years old, maybe you could trade him and get some value back, but not sure how much value he really has across the league. Yeah, I, I don't think he has that type of value yet. I think, you know, we're very excited about him and all that, but I don't think he's got the value to command something, you know, worth trading right now, unless he's like attached to like a Miles Turner or a Levert. Yeah, or uh, or even Jeremy Lamb just to, to fill salary. Like, kind of look back a little bit at what what Orlando did right when they acquired Wendell Carter Jr. They had to take on Otto Porter uh, Jr. Mm-hmm. as well, right? That huge contract that nobody really wanted, and they were able to you know hold on to him. And then when he was free agent, came off the books, and they got two first round picks on it. So it's like, hey, you know, if there's a guy out there like a Vucevic, a, a veteran player that you think could really help your team, and you know, be a part of the longer term future, right? You know trying to prove to these guys to stay, then maybe you go that route. But ultimately, uh, not something I would be doing. But let's move on here. Anthony Childress, he said, thoughts on the likelihood of the Pacers not trading LaVert at the deadline, but instead waiting until the offseason to look at options to move him or Brogdon. I still think they definitely need to move either Miles or Domas under their Lamb or Holiday by the trade deadline. I mean, it's like it wouldn't surprise me if the Pacers kept LaVert to the offseason. Um, it really wouldn't. I don't think they should be in a rush to unload him for – you know, improper value, but uh, I think he's also looked a lot better. So I think he's helped his trade value. Like we talked about, I do think splitting up the big is more of the answer, but you really hope the trade's got to be there because at some point, you know, like we mentioned, it would be great to get go with those reps for, for the, the rest of this season. So then, you know, in the off season, Hey, what do we got to do over here? You know, are we just going to give Isaiah Jackson far more of those minutes? Does go fit into our future plans? Um, so I think Levert is still likely to be traded this year. Wouldn't surprise me too much if, if they waited to the offseason, but I think the big should be broken up first, but I don't think it's going to happen. 
Yeah, I don't think it's very likely that we wait until the offseason because here's the thing. Teams that want Levert, he'll be on an expiring next summer, right? So once uh, once the season ends, he's got one year left on his contract. So I think whoever does acquire him via trade is going to want to get a little bit of a look at him here over the next couple of months. So you're talking the rest of February, March, and April, and then hopefully May if you're in the playoffs. So that is why I think that Levert is the most likely to be moved because same with Turner because they've got, you know, a little shorter window here to see what they're worth. Now, that does not mean that Brogdon could not still be moved either. Like, I understand Brogdon likes being here. Brogdon's a quote-unquote leader of the team, but how how much has he really led this team and how much, you know, has he really done? I mean, I think he's a great guy off the court, but is he really the guy, the right guy for the job? I don't know. I don't know if he is, Foch, but I like him as like a, as a secondary ball handler, but not the primary ball handler. I think that you could look to move Brogdon in the offseason. I mean, you could literally trade Lavert, Turner, and Brogdon by the start of next season and and, and be building around a top five, top seven draft pick, Sabonis, uh, TJ Warren, if you bring him back and he can stay healthy, Chris Duarte, I mean, and then whatever you get back in, in return for those trades. I think that could be a, a way to look at this team moving forward. But um, to, to anticipate three starters being traded by the next season would be a little bit too greedy, right? So I would say, uh, you know, Brogdon probably is a move, but they could still move him if the right deal is available. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our last question here. This was a DM that I got, um, and I think it's from my guy, Randy. So he said, here's a question for your podcast. Do you and Fauci, he he spelled your name Fauci. I think Perfect. Scott Agnes tipped him off that way, but he said, do you, <laughs> yeah. do you and Fauci believe the Ben Simmons situation in Philadelphia will or has held up the trade process? And do you feel like with the Ben Simmons and the COVID going on uh, will cause non uh, none to very little activity toward the trade deadline? Can the teams can teams trade players and COVID protocols? How will that be handled? Everyone, it, it is indeed Fauci and not Fauci. So I need, <laughs> need to get that out there. Dr. Um, Fauci? Yeah, no, no. Oh, man. It's been about two years of hearing that. Any relation? No, they're spelled completely differently. Um, anyway, uh, look, I do think that Simmons has been uncooperative, likely delayed the Sixers making any type of move for him. I don't think he's helped them out at all. Um, I think teams know that the Sixers don't have all the power there because, you know, at, at, at this point, Simmons, they want to get a look at him. You know, they, they want to see him on the court. It would be obviously make things easier if he was playing and playing well. Um, while all trades do pen to physical, I would think that having COVID wouldn't scare anyone off in a trade. I don't think it's happened yet uh, where that's like been a situation, but I just think that it would pen to positive test. And then at that point, like we're, we're talking about the CDC changed their rules. Now it's like five days. So I, I don't think any deal would be held up, but I don't believe that that's happened yet. Yeah, no, I definitely think that Ben Simmons, you know, being the biggest chip out there, I think teams are waiting to see if the value will come down on him. So that could halt some trades. But I think teams that also are looking for, a, you know, Ben Simmons trade, they're not really looking for the guys the Pacers might be dealing, right? Um, but they might want to hold off on a deal. So I get what you're saying. Um, I think it has a little bit of an impact, but not like a major, major impact. But maybe I'm off there. I, I just don't really have a great feel for for that. But, you know, we saw the Cavaliers. They they traded for Rajon Rondo. Um, and that was – they traded Denzel Valentine for Rajon Rondo once Ricky Rubio went out for the season. And Rondo did not play tonight. So I think Rondo might actually be, uh, you know, have had, he might have had a positive test once it happened. Or maybe he's dealing with an ankle injury. I can't remember. But I, I don't think, like Fachi said, it's, it's going to hold up a trade if someone tests positive for COVID. I would like to get more of a clarification on how that would work. But I think that, you know, teams have to get physicals with these players, right? 
I mean, that's how the Pacers caught the cancer uh, on, on Karis LeVert, right? So that that's something that's very important to this Pacers team before they make a trade. Like, hey, can we do a rapid COVID test? Like, okay, can we still do a physical after they get a, a test? And if they're positive, like, how does that impact the trade? I think that's a very great question um, because it, it could halt things as, as teams are trying to just fill their roster. I mean, look, the Pacers had a 12-man roster today with only, what, three starters from the beginning of the season and only five players from the 15-man roster active. So – Everybody right now is going through this, but ultimately I don't think that um, a positive test is going to decline a deal, but, you know, they're probably going to have to get a physical at some point, and uh, you have to wonder if the physical uh, is not good, if that does impact the trade. Yeah, I, I just think with the time frame that we're dealing with COVID and how many players have come down with it, I don't, I don't think that it would delay or stop a deal. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe a deal potentially gets delayed, you know, a couple of days, but I don't think a deal falls through. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, but uh, all right. So I think that wraps up our mailbag questions here, uh, Dr. Fauci. So, <laughs> ah, but uh, anyway, um, can you let the people know where they can find us out on social media, Fudge? Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You heard that. That's Fauci. And you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you're excited to see Lance Stevenson back home on Wednesday, or is it Wednesday? I believe it is, right? Wednesday against the Utah Jazz. Then say these three words. Let's go Pacers! See you, Fauci.